So we are opening a series on the fruit of the Spirit um, that coincides with Advent. Uh, and I am going to be uh, taking up hope, which, if you know your lists of the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't appear in the fruit of the Spirit. Um, so the, uh, the understanding of many commentators is that hope really is, in some ways, assumed or presumed in the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll, I'll point to some of that today. Um, and it, uh, I would say more than any other word, perhaps, hope names the posture of us as Christians because it sets the present in our true context. It reminds us of what God has begun in Christ, and it is our determination to live in accordance with God's just peace in the future. Um, so to begin, we will read a scripture together. Um, if you're willing... You will just read Mary's part. Um, I'll read the rest of it. Uh, I get to be the angel in the narrator. Um, so you'll notice that uh, you don't have a lot of lines, but I'd like you to read Mary's part. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. <laughs> the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Then the angel departed from her. What will also play a part in this sermon is what we're not going to read, which is soon after this, when she goes to visit Mary, she uh, sings a song, the so-called Magnificat, which is really a sort of political as well as personal statement, um, and that'll come into play a bit. So I was drawn to Jesus and the scriptures because it didn't paper over the way things seemed to be, and it didn't encourage me to close my eyes and my heart to those around me. Christians must be truthful people who name the real. Things can be very dark. Sorrow, injustice, bullies, disease, and finally death itself cast shadows across our individual and societal spaces. So why continue on, and certainly, why bring anyone else into this space, such as children? As many of you know, our daughter's name is Hope. That's not only because it was a short name, uh, seemingly necessary when we were going to burden her with the last name Dufoe Hunter. <laughs> On my side, her name was also an act of faith. When I was young, I thought I wanted to be like my mother and have lots of kids. As I matured, I was more, con more convinced by existentialist philosophy and its assertions that the world was absurd. There is so much wrong, deeply wrong. 
And even if some people are happy, which seems to be quite true, don't the harsh realities of violence and the worst of what humans can do to each other, to other creatures, and to the earth itself overshadow a sense of hope? And I'd also had enough therapy and enough shattered relationships to know I'm not fit to be a mother, that I am burdened with brokenness that makes having children a seemingly unwise decision. Yet I was also studying theology, and against all odds of it, it affected my ordinary life. I ran across quotes like this one. We have children as a witness that the future is not left up to us, and that life, even in a threatening world, is worth living. And not because children are the hope of the future, but because God is the hope of the future. I took this to mean that even my crummy upbringing, my incapacities and fractures, cannot prevent God from working good now and into the future. And childbearing isn't child acquisition. Adoption and fostering of children is not a nice thing to do. Although many of you are probably told that a lot because you do it. Rather, we bear, adopt, foster, tend others more broadly as a reminder that they are not our saviors. Rather, we have a savior who is powerful and compassionate, one who will right the tilted world into which we come, vulnerable, naked, and without power. And whether we participate in this sort of practice directly ourselves or not, we're all beckoned to surrender ourselves, to open ourselves to bear Christ in our bodies as signs of hope, because God has not deserted Israel, and God has not abandoned the world. Parenting is but one practice meant to shape us into people who know that we are not in control of the world, that we are vulnerable, and must trust in the inevitability of God's good future, not in our own ability to love or create. Here I am, Mary says, surrendering in hope, and like her, we open ourselves so God can grow in us. Mary enfleshes, literally, what hope means. She makes it real to us and shows us the complexities and beauties of it. In contrast to cheaper versions of hope, as a faithful Jew, she displays for us what Christian hope is, living as if God's future is more determinative of our present than the past, and indeed that what passes for common sense isn't really what should direct us. It didn't come cheaply for Mary, or it doesn't for, as it doesn't for any saint. For Christian hope is not a platitude. Christian hope means acting as if. As if God has actually done something in Christ. As if God has actually begun an unstoppable revolution that will result in a new sort of upside-down kingdom. The kingdom that the angel says will never end. We live as if the powers of this world do not have the final say, proclaiming our allegiances and seemingly foolish commitments to justice in our common life, for forgiveness of intimate people, intimate ones, because one came so long ago and will return to make the world right and make each one of us whole and new. I want to differentiate uh, hope from two close counterfeits. Um, as I mentioned, we live in a world of shadows, um, and amidst those shadows, we have this kind of sickly sweet Christmas music that has begun. Um, 
And I want us to remember that amidst this kind of other version of what Advent is actually about, our Advent revealed not only seekers like the Magi and rough-tongued but tender shepherds, but also exposed the fearful brutality of a king who slaughtered babies rather than risk the disruption that God's peace brings. That is the world into which Jesus was born. That is the world that longs for his return, his advent, to establish the kingdom of God here as it is in heaven. In the face of this, uh, hope then is not expecting and hope is not wishful thinking or natural optimism. Turns out that some of you actually have natural optimism. It might be evident in the sermon. That's not one of my gifts. Um, so uh, how, how do we distinguish these? Uh, wanting or wishing is Snow White singing into the wishing well. Okay, come on. How many of you know this one? I'm wishing for the one I love. Right? I loved that. Oh, Nicole, you could probably rock this. Um, but that's not Christian hope. Snow White does not display the agency of Mary, the non-coercive participation that God invites even when God offers us gifts like hope. Such positive thinking relies on our own steam or that of others. It also doesn't necessitate either prayer or action, which I'm going to argue is what hope is. Among Christians, sometimes what passes for hope is prayer minus action. But hope is an all-in disposition. It requires not merely thinking about it or desiring something to be different, but rather to act as if it has already come to be so. Think again of Mary's hope that offering her body to God could overturn the world. Or think of nonviolence, the passages we read about beating our swords into plowshares. This rests not on positive thinking, as if enemies don't exist, but rather it's about the inevitable vindication and justice of Mary's Magnificat. What about expecting? Well, expecting from others or God uh, is something that uh, I think of expecting as wanting it now. The time frame of expectation is immediate. So if I expect you to forgive me, for example, uh, I'm likely to be flattened or even resentful if I don't receive it. Expecting change in ourselves or others also makes other fruit of the Spirit difficult. Think of gentleness. Think of expectation and gentleness. That fruit is almost impossible to have if we expect ourselves or others to change. Think of larger social ills. Expecting that immigration reform will be implemented can leave us crushed and perhaps incapable of continuing to work and witness to this throughout our lifetime. Expectation lacks the future orientation of hope. It often demands that because we've acted in some way, God or others are obligated to show up in a certain way. Now, a posture of expectation of God or of others makes things like peace difficult to attain. You might think here um, of what it, the difference if you happen to have a chronic illness or condition. To expect that illness to change when we pray is different than hoping that it will, especially if you're the one being prayed for. Wishing and expecting 
will always disappoint. And by indulging them, we do not build our lives on the presence of Christ among us now, nor on the future that Christ will fully bring at his second advent. So how do I define hope? I would say Christian hope is prayer plus action, or prayer joined to action. Anything that lacks either of those two is not really Christian hope. Um, you might think of it also this way. Hope is living as if God's future has already arrived. And that that future is more determinative than our past. It's not a happy feeling. It's not an emotion. Although, by God's grace, we may genuinely come to feel hopeful. Uh, without being glib or without ignoring the force of evil or injustice in our own lives or in the culture around us. Uh, but that will also be for the sermon on joy, right? Because to be joyful is not to be dishonest about what is. So in some sense, hope isn't realistic, not in the way we usually use that term. Um, it's a way of rejecting, I would say, actually, realism. Um, that's just the way the world is, is not infused with Christian hope. Hope is faith in a future that we may not see clearly, but rather one that we sense, because we've been guided by the law and the prophets like Mary to imagine that the way things are will not be the way things remain. Mary, again, is a good Jew. She takes up a very unrealistic, foolish proposition, and her Magnificat speaks into existence the triumph of God's future over the present oppression of the poor and the weak. So if hope is prayer, I want to remind us that Christian prayer is lament and celebration. It's intimate talk with God in our closets, and it's worship together on Sunday morning, coupled with an action directed by that prayer, by that worship. Finally, hope is a gift, one we receive in a posture of openness to God and God's advent as the most determinative event in history, in our personal history and in our communal history. For Mary, to receive hope means submitting her body, her sexuality, her hopes for marriage before pregnancy, and her identity as a Jewish woman to God. She does this by opening her womb to hold in her body the wonder, danger, and travail of childbearing. Because she hopes in the reality of God's justice, she doesn't allow the shame others would place on her to keep her from faithfully opening her womb as a space for the king of creation to grow. Mary has learned to see the world as it really is, where it is going, despite appearances for those oppressed by Roman rule or economic hardship. This child will be the one that disrupts the injustices of the world and takes this young, seemingly insignificant woman and honors her with agency. In her Magnificat that follows, she proclaims a God who brings the high-low and the low-high, just as her son will proclaim and also embody. She sings, claiming that despite evidence to the contrary, God has not forgotten Israel, not abandoned those whose insignificance has made them invisible. 
a rather unspectacular young woman of no wealth or status. She's invited to take up a key role in this crazy and very unlikely plan of God. God will overthrow the shadows, will swallow up the Dementors, a la Harry Potter, right? <laughs> Through a little vulnerable baby. A baby who only comes to us through the willing womb of a teenage woman. A woman, mind you. Luke offers a reminder that amidst the often male-centric scriptural drama, he reminds us that there is significance to women's bodies for the salvation of us all, of our lives as important, not as sexualized objects, but as agents, powerful because we have opened ourselves to the power of God. Advent reminds us of the first coming of Jesus, the coming into the world that first shone in the dark night of Israel's oppression and of everybody's heart. So what might this mean to actually uh, take up Mary's witness? So I want to offer two short examples. Um, one illustrates how I've struggled to hope. So I, I looked for myself and I thought, well, I'm not really a very hopeful person by nature, right? I've already noted that. Um, but I thought, well, if I'm a Christian, I must have hoped somewhere, right? Uh, so uh, I reflected back about um, when I was in college and soon after, I, I had this very ugly relationship with a pastor and staff worker. Um, it was devastating. It had devastating effects on me as a young woman, as a new Christian, um, and it was hard to fathom. I experienced, uh, it happened to me amidst estrangement from my family because of my faith, uh, amidst a breakup with someone I thought I would marry. Um, but because of this pastor and how things played out, I basically lost all of my connections to other Christians. I remember speaking to my therapist, God, thank you for the therapist, about all of this. Um, although I didn't want to go to that either, just a little side note, but there you go. I could not imagine that I would get through the pain uh, of all of these losses, uh, of the ways I'd been manipulated as a young woman, and even more painfully, um, how obvious it was that I'd been foolish in my choices, that I didn't know myself very well, that I'd fallen in and continued this sort of thing for a long time. I was filled with regret over my past, lots of wasted years, lots of wasted energy. But my therapist said something like, one day you will not be in such pain. One day, you might even be thankful that you had this relationship. He was speaking about redemption, that nothing could stop God's power to remake the world, and indeed, even to remake me. I thought he was nuts. Uh, but what he was saying was a call to receive hope in Christ as the complicated gift that it is. In quite a different way than Mary, I was being asked to receive Christ without knowing what it would or could grow into. I could truthfully hold on to my past, even as doing so meant acknowledging discomfort, disillusionment, and my failure, and believe God can take even humiliating circumstances and transform them. I was to lean into a future in which God would not abandon me to my despair. And I want to be clear, I didn't feel hopeful, um, but I did get up every day nudging depression to the side so that other emotions, too, could have some space. I continued to pray as I could. I also continued to seek out other Christians. 
uh, ride my bike to work, and overall take up my life as it, as it had taken its rather disappointing and lonely shape. I wanted to believe that Christ could make a future for me in which I could look honestly at my failures, at others' unkindness, and not be overwhelmed. And it turned out that wanting and getting up every day was enough. I didn't totally give up on my life or on God. I hoped for new friends and relationship by leaning into the as if. I got up living as if Christ coming into the world had made a difference, as if his future coming could make something good from my past and from my present. Sometimes hope as prayer in action isn't very sexy. I wouldn't say that was this really dramatic thing. Um, but uh, it looked like just those ordinary yeses we've been talking about over the last many weeks. It meant acting like Christ's first advent made the spirit present to me now. Hope often looks like this, small steps to trust that nothing can overcome the light that was and is Christ. I'm in another season in which those ordinary yeses are a little harder than usual. And I need to remember that hope is not a feeling to be mustered up. It is an openness, a willingness to let God grow in me, one day at a time, and living as if Mary's yes and her later song is my own. But what might it mean to hope on a larger canvas? Because God's not only interested in healing little old me, although thankfully that's part of the equation. Uh, what, does, what does it mean to hope in the face of overwhelming evil? Um, and as I thought about this, uh, I, as an American, I can think of no other wickedness more heinous than racism. It's affected every system, and by most measures, we are more segregated now in so-called liberal and enlightened California and New York than at any time since the 1970s. The more I know, the more I read, the more I listen, the more I watch, the more I comprehend racism's viciousness, it seems dishonest to be hopeful. But Christian hope has no meaning if it cannot be nurtured in this time and in this space. I recently had an interaction with a colleague of mine. I observed that there was a time that race, as it was created, wasn't determinative of our relationships. And I said something like, we must imagine a world without racism. And we know that God's just peace is inevitable. So how do we act now with God's future as our guide rather than racism's cruelty and fracture as determinative? And he interrupted me. And he sort of tisked and shook his head and said, you do not know the power of racism. Well, it seems to me that then we don't know the power of God. And we don't actually believe that the future that God inaugurated in Christ is inevitably our future. Christian hope is crucial for taking on racism, classism, sexism, ethnocentrism, or other deeply entrenched patterns of ugliness and destruction. We're beckoned to act in the present, emboldened by the confidence not in our own efficacy, but rather in that in that the second coming, the second advent, cannot be stopped. That's why childbearing is but one image of that, right? It's a kind of um, submission that isn't totally in our control, um, as many of us know. Um, 
We also proclaim this, right, in one of the great intercessory prayers of the church, the Kyrie, right? Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And so we are people of hope. We measure our actions not against what's realistic, but rather against the horizon of God's just peace. We are people of hope so that even the bleak shadows cast by social ills cannot keep us from praying and acting as if, as if God's future is more determinative of our lives than the past or the present. This sort of hope shapes all the other fruits of the Spirit and helps us know what they look like in action. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, these depend on God's future as the hardest, most determinative fact for which we live. It's particularly necessary, I would argue, in our current political climate, in which ugliness dominates and beckons us to participate on its own terms. So I invite you to hope today, to pray and act from the perspective of Christ's second coming, from the sure-footedness that comes from knowing that the good news proclaimed by the angels will bring each of us peace, and that it will bring a new social order that is just. In a society that thinks we fashion our own future or fix the world, that trades in aphorisms rather than actions, such hopes will make you, will make us, odd. It's a great line. That's a, that's a ripoff of Flannery O'Connor. He says, the truth shall make you odd. <laughs> Despite appearances to the contrary, hope is always the most deep reality. It doesn't hide from sorrow or injustice. It doesn't excuse our own failures or even change the past. Mary's song in Luke and her life as we glimpse it there reminds us of this. Hope is always embodied, involving us in the doings of life. And that's true regardless of, um, regardless of how disappointed we may be in our children, um, in not having children, uh, in our status. With lives that are fragile, with pasts that are fraught, as nations that oppress or are oppressed, may we open ourselves to receive the gift of hope this Advent season. So, um, while we wait for the children to come in, um, a couple things I, I want to note. Uh, I think I had it down here. I was proud that I even had PowerPoint, if you know me. Um, I wonder if you can take a moment in the silence that the children are allowing us, um, and if you're comfortable, close your eyes or just sit for a moment. I'd invite you to posture your hands as openness to God and think for a moment or open yourselves for a moment to how to receive the gift of hope this morning.
Lord, thank you that our past, that present darkness, does not determine our future. Thank you that in coming long ago, you inaugurated an unstoppable revolution. Thank you that you, by your spirit, transform each one of us, that you see us and know us. We pray for all those who especially are struggling with their past and their present. For all those in this room, for those whom our lives touch, for my people and nation that seems to know little of real hope. Pray by your spirit you would transform us and that your spirit of hope would do what all the fruits of the spirit do, that they would press outward and explode, that they would flow from us into your world. Be gracious to us, we pray. May this Advent season indeed refresh us and renew us in our hope. Not in expectation, not in our wishful thinking, but orient us, help us lean in to the inevitability of your just peace. Amen. <laughs>